This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. And our second reading, I want to acknowledge again my gratitude to all of the church staff, to Christian and Will for being with us and particularly for my husband, Jim Singleton, who is not only the liturgist, but the cheerleader of the preacher-pastor, and to our six-year-old grandson, Hunter Singleton, who week after week is the acolyte and wants to do it with excellence, and I can just say he's great at it. The word of the Lord comes from the gospel according to John. We will begin with chapter 11, verse 17. We are in a sermon series called Conversations That Make a Difference. And today's conversation is profound. Jesus speaks of eternal things, eternal life surrounding the death of his friend, Lazarus. We begin with John 11, verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus, who had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, while Mary stayed at home, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah. And when she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here, is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her saw her get up quickly and go out. And they followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in his spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. 
So the Jews said, see how he loved him, loved him. But some of them said, could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha. The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you. For having heard me, I knew that you always hear me. But I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you know that morning, you know that event, and you know the event that we are all living through now. And so we would like to hear a voice. If there's a way that you can call us forth and we can hear you, we pray that you would and that we will. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I've never been on an, you know, I've never been on an Easter morning where so many people were worshiping in jeans and sweatpants and pajamas. I mean, what a profound difference this Easter is from any other. I cannot think of a time when we need to hear more a word of hope. During the mortgage crisis of 2009, Pastor John Ortberg, in his Easter message, reminded the church that for the past 2,000 years, people have not gathered on Easter morning to say, the stock market has risen. It is risen indeed. Nor have they said, the employment rate is risen. The hope that has supported people through millennia, of, through millennia of hardship and pain and difficulty and disease is this. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. This is the news that we proclaim. It is up to the minute revelant. Because of the res resurrection. In John 11, we find a profound application of the Easter message. It's revelance. It's profound. And by that word profound, I mean it's extreme. It's intense. It's even severe. We find profound love. A profound question. And a profound command. Let's look at this profound love. 
and how it's shown in this, this conversation that Jesus has. We did not read verses 3 through 5, but it's where a word is sent by the two sisters that Lazarus, the one that Jesus loves, is very ill. And it is part of scripture that Jesus had a special relationship with his family. The three siblings were among his closest friends. When he and his disciples were near Jerusalem, they stayed in Bethany with Martha, with Mary, and with Lazarus. He was like family to them. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was seriously ill, it says that he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, you would think that a best friend hearing that his friend is in a dire condition, Mr. Compassion himself would take the first red-eye flight and get to Bethany as soon as possible. But he doesn't. Instead, he says, this illness is not leading to death. Rather, it is for the glory of God. Now, have you, have you wondered where God is in this global pandemic? Is God showing up late? Is God present or involved? James Baldwin, 20th century African-American author and playwright said, the Lord never seems to get there when you want him. But when he arrives, he's always right on time. The Lord never seems to get there when you want him. But when he arrives, he's always right on time. Those words hold true, but not until the end of Lazarus' story. Profound love revealed by arriving late? We shall see. We see, though, that profound love speaks life. The sisters are in deep grief over and over. They say, if you had only been here, this would not have happened. Jesus, in response, does not say, I'm so sorry. Instead, he speaks life. Your brother will rise again. I know, says Martha. I know that's going to happen. I believe it in the end, the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus speaks profound love by speaking of enduring eternal life. Now, he does not mean that we will not undergo physical death. Lazarus has already been dead for four days. Jesus means that those who put their trust in him, for them, death has no lasting significance. Physical death is the door into the age to come. Winston Churchill believed this. He knew his death was pending, and he planned his funeral. It was held in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. At the end of the service, Churchill asked that a bugler high in the dome would play taps, the universal sign that day is over. 
And after a long pause, a second bugler up in the dome would play Reveille, the military wake-up call. Why did Churchill want this? Because he believed in Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Though he die, he would live again. Profound love speaks life. Profound love does not just share the good news of life. It actually shares grief. Verse 33, when Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews with her also weeping, it says he was greatly disturbed in his spirit and deeply moved. This word that is translated greatly disturbed is used of of horses when they are alarmed and scared and their nostrils flare. Jesus is so sad, so upset, so angry with death that his nostrils flare. His body trembles in great distress. Jesus asks to be shown where Lazarus was buried. And when he sees it, he begins to weep. The crowd is amazed by the intensity of his emotion. Jesus weeps over the sickness and the death that is wreaking havoc on the earth today. Profound love shares grief. But then comes this profound question. Do you believe this? Jesus says again, I am. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He asked Martha, do you believe this? How would you answer? How would you answer? Many believe in spirituality. A growing number of Americans are spiritual, but they are not religious. They possess a spirituality that has no specific content, no higher authority. Yet for them, it does satisfy to connect with something supernatural. In Joanne Harris's novel, Chocolate, the main character believes in spiritual things. She believes in Jesus and aliens, Buddha and crystal healings. She believes them all. Now some people, now some people, some people have a different kind of spirituality. Its root is at the Eastern asceticism. It is, in all, in all accounts, a religion that comes out of despair. Why do I say that? Joy Davidman was the wife of C.S. Lewis. He married her late in his life. She died early in 1960 of cancer. She wrote a book, Smoke on the Mountains. And she looks at spirituality, particularly Eastern asceticism, noticing that it renounces the world because it sees that the world is actually such a mess. It's a form of spirituality that may appear stoic and beautiful because it lifts lifts the individual above the misery that is around them. 
What David meant, saw, was personal pride pretending to look like love. Do you believe in spirituality? Or do you believe in Jesus? Of course, we all know that we can believe in ourselves. It's the culture we live in. It's the very air we breathe. Pop culture exists because of extreme egoism. This form of spirituality has us look within ourselves, tapping into our desires, our potential, and bringing it to fulfillment. It allows us to escape the mundane and to have an experience that is incredible. To believe in oneself as a default spirituality means that this world is our only chance at happiness. When a pandemic or personal catastrophe takes this happiness away, it leaves not only disappointment, but despair. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. The profound question, the profound question, do you believe this? Martha believes in a person, Jesus. Verse 27, she responds, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. In other words, she says, I believe in you. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah of Jewish expectation, the one everyone in the world has been waiting for. Martha believes in a person, Jesus Christ. Is this all that Jesus asks of us? Mental assent to believe who he says he is? No, there is more to belief than that. There is trust. Trust enough to act on what Jesus says. And what does he ask? It's an imperative. It's a command. We come to that profound command. Take away the stone. Take away the stone. Jesus was standing right before Lazarus' tomb with Martha and Mary at his side, along with a large crowd of people. The tomb was hollowed out of the rock. And a cork, a stone was like a cork that just fit right into the opening of the tomb. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Jesus said, Take away the stone. What is one to do? Well, one can say, I can't. It's too unpleasant. That's how Martha responds at first. Verse 39 Lord, by this time there will be an odor. I think the King James Version nails it. It has two words words, he stinketh. That's true. If Jesus gave such a command, 
what would you do? What stone would Jesus have you remove? It may be a stone covering something from your past, something that you wish you could forget. It may be unexpressed grief or a sense of inward shame. It may be unconfessed sin or unfulfilled longings or an ocean of pain or broken relationships. Maybe the stone is a stony heart. Behind that stone is only more stone. One response to Jesus' profound command is, I can't. That is where you are this morning. Another way one may respond to Jesus' command is, I won't. It would hold me too accountable. Every day, people defend themselves against God by walking away from the evidence that would hold them accountable to Jesus. Such people make unbelief as secure as they can. In 1996, Carl Sagan, after suffering through months of cancer and facing death, confessed, I know of nothing to suggest that Christian belief is more than wishful thinking. Four and a half centuries ago, John Calvin observed that unbelief is always proud and a despiser is always proud and a despiser of God. But unbelief does not always break out into open conflict with God. People who want to continue to live life on their own terms respond to Jesus' profound command by saying, I won't take the stone away. It would hold me to accountable. But there is a third response that's available to us. And that is this. I will take away the stone as risky as it seems. And that's what Martha did. When first she said, I can't, Jesus replied, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Martha believed him, not in some particular outcome. She and Mary knew that Jesus had the power to cure sickness. If Jesus had arrived on time, Lazarus would not have died. Martha didn't know what would happen if she took the stone away. She did it anyway, as risky as it seemed. Nobody expected an act of resurrection. Ken Davis, he writes about a woman who looked out her window and saw her German shepherd dog shaking the life out of their neighbor's rabbit. Her family did not get along with these neighbors, so this was going to be an absolute disaster. She grabbed a broom, pummeled the dog until it dropped the now extremely dead rabbit, dog, until it dropped the now extremely dead rabbit out of its mouth. She panicked. She did not know what else to do. 
She grabbed the rabbit, took it inside, gave it a bath, blow dried it to its original fluffiness, combed it until that rabbit was looking good. She snuck it into the neighbor's yard, propped the rabbit back up in its cage. An hour later, she heard screams coming from next door. She asked her neighbor, what's going on? A rabbit, a rabbit, her neighbor cried. He died two weeks ago. We buried him and now he's back. Like the neighbor who screamed. People in the first century knew that rabbits stay dead. Dead people stay dead. When Jesus commanded to take away the stone, nobody expected an act of resurrection. But Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the one who was dead came out. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. The profound love of God, arriving late, is right on time. Has Jesus delayed his coming in your time of need? The story's not over. He comes to all who ask and arrives right on time. And what do you believe? Spirituality? Yourself? Or Jesus? I invite you to examine the evidence found in this story. Is there a stone that way? A stone that allows you to forget? A stone of hardness or unbelief? Ask Jesus to help you take away the stone so that you may see the glory of God. If you take Jesus at his word, you will discover that God is alive. Jesus is alive and well, and you can be too. Nothing is too far gone. No sin is too grave. Nothing is too complex for God to do something about. This is profound. This is true. Death is not the end. The end is life. We can live because he lives. Christ risen indeed. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, these are more than words. You have been on the move from before creation. You entered into creation in Jesus Christ to redeem it. And in the resurrection story, we find that there is a supernatural power to change our lives and to bless this world. And so we pray that you in your perfect timing would come to all of us. And that as we bear our needs before you, as grave as they are, as locked down, airtight, hidden as they seem, Heavenly Father, we pray that your resurrection light and power would 
bring new life. So we ask, as we pray not only for ourselves, but for others, that as you came into the world, that this world might know there is a Savior, that Christ is alive. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.